Well, good morning. I thought there were people in the room with us for some reason, but good morning. Uh, hey, there we go. And good morning online as well. You can um, say good morning there as well. I'm sure you already have done that to a lot of people. We're so glad you're with us. So I want you to imagine um, a friend of yours from college or high school calls and says, I want to meet you for a cup of coffee. And so you go to your local Starbucks and you sit down together, you get your coffee and you're having conversation when all of a sudden the doors of the coffee shop burst open and someone walks in and says, good news, great news. And of course you sit there with your friend looking at each other wondering what in the world is this all about? And of course, the person doesn't continue on to let everyone know what the good news is. They begin to walk around to the people that they know in the coffee shop and tell them what's happened. There's a couple of different scenarios. One, the guy walks in and he has this great news. And the great news is pretty amazing. The doctors have just called. And his little child who has cancer has just done a scan And it seems like the cancer is completely gone. And of course, this is incredible news. Or maybe it's a college student who walks in, who's been fretting their finals all week in their hardest class, their final final, which the grade in the class depends on. And the teacher has just said, you know what? This year, everyone, because it's been such a tough year, everyone gets 100 on their final. And the incredible relief that you feel. Or you've been out of work for several months, and the person walks in with the great news, and the great news is they have just landed a new job. And this new job is an incredible opportunity for their family, for them personally, and helping them financially. Now, you can imagine every one of those scenarios is pretty incredible news for the person walking into the coffee shop, something that they are thrilled about, something that they would be excited to share with everyone. But there are some truths about all three of these scenarios, and all three of these have some things in common. The the first thing they have in common is every one of these scenarios is part of a larger context. Just hearing there's good news does not completely tell the whole story. Because there is a bigger story. For the first scenario, the child has been diagnosed with cancer and they've been going through chemo and radiation and it's been a really, really long road and the parents are tired and the child is hurting and they're tired of seeing their kid sick and not being able to help. There's a bigger story. For the other one, their grade is dependent on this final. And not only is their grade, so is their ability to graduate and possibly even land a job is completely dependent on this final. Or maybe it's a the family. And the dad has been out of work. And the mom is unable to work. And they've been scraping by, trying to make ends meet. And this job comes as an incredible relief. 
And so that first truth is simply there is a larger story that this good news makes much more sense within. The the second thing that's true about all three of these is there is a new truth, a new reality, and because of this new reality, everything else in their life from that point on will be different. Everything changes because the diagnosis has seemed to be reversed. There's healing. And now there's the possibility of life without doctor appointment after doctor's appointment. Nights where your child is not throwing up. For the third scenario, there's hope that there is food on the table and there is security and that debts are able to be paid off, that things start to to look up again. And the third thing that is true about all three of these scenarios is each one of these scenarios usher in a period of immediate waiting. You get the announcement, the phone call, that your child's scan came back great, but now there is a waiting period. You're waiting to see the effects of the chemo and the radiation wear off. You're waiting for the days and the times where you're not having to go to follow-up doctor's appointments. For the final, there's this waiting period of still, there's good news, but there's still graduation to come. They're still trying to find a job. The scenario still has to be played out. For the third, there are still the the bills that are coming in the mail before you get that first check, before you sign the contract, before you start the job, before everything starts to take a turn for the better. And one of the things that Jesus does is he comes into this world and he says, we are in this place where everything has changed because I have entered the world, because the kingdom of God has come near. Because of what Jesus is doing, everything that happens on the other side has changed and will be different. But there is also this immediate period of waiting where, yes, good news has been announced and there is hope coming, but we are still waiting to see it. Now, I don't know about you, But there are times when the waiting gets really hard. There are times when you look at our world and you wonder, God, where are you right now? You look at the mess and you start to grow weary, wondering what's happening this past week. Um, after all the events, or I guess a couple weeks, I wrote this sermon a week ago. Um, after everything happened last Wednesday, it was one of those days where just growing weary. And, and you look at the conflict and you look at the turmoil and you look at all the, the trouble in the world. You look at the things going on with the pandemic. And I, I was sitting in my office, I was trying to write this sermon about hope and fixing your eyes on Jesus, and everything around me was making it really hard. And you start to ask questions, uh, is everything just falling apart? Is there hope? God, are you still at work in this world? And this story popped up on YouTube. It was a news story from several years ago. And it was this 
this group of three guys who had gone into this diner and they saw a little old lady sitting by herself eating dinner. And they just said, you know what? She's eating by herself. We're going to get up. And these three African-American teenagers, college students probably, get up from their table and they go sit with an older, elderly, white lady in Alabama. And the story makes national news because someone did something good for someone else. And then there was another little story from the news that was a pretty cool story. And I sat there and I just started watching these stories after stories after stories. They're the stories that run on the news at the very, very, very end of the broadcast as you're leaving. Hey, there's still something good happening. And I watched for an hour just story after story of people being good, compassionate, loving, caring, Christ-like people in this world. And it reminded me of these truths that are so, so important. That yes, God is still at work in the world. And God is still doing amazing things if we would just open our eyes. But we are in this period of waiting for the kingdom of God to be fully and finally realized on earth as it is in heaven. And in that waiting, let me tell you, it is so easy to grow weary. It's really easy to lose heart. And to ask yourself, does this even make a difference? Does it make a difference if we preach? Or we gather to worship? Does it make a difference if we go out into this world? Does anyone even notice? But I believe. But I believe the presence of Jesus is still the one thing that can change and transform this world. I believe that. I struggle sometimes right here to believe that. But we can never lose our belief right here that that is the truth. See, the series, as we look through the Gospel of Mark, we're asking one of the most important questions we could ever ask, and it's simply this, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And the reason the question is so important is because if Jesus is who he says he is, then it demands a response. Because he's not just claiming to be some great teacher or a prophet who's announcing something. He is claiming to be the king of the universe. That is what Messiah was supposed to be, the new king of the world. And if that is true, you are faced with a decision. There is no way around it. And the decision is simple. You can decide that, well, Mark is not telling the truth. I don't believe what Mark is saying, or I don't believe Jesus is who he says. You can believe that. But if you believe he is who he says he is, your choices are, are simple. You can submit to him as king, or... 
You can say, well, I'm, I'm not going to submit. And I feel like so many times when I start to grow weary, and let me just be honest, it happens. I know you think, well, you, you preach, you get to study all day, you get to do all... It still happens. I'm a person just like you. And when I start to grow weary, when I start to question, when I start to wonder, I have to go back to that decision. And I have to go back, just like you do, to the answer to this question, who is Jesus? You know, last week we, we ended our, our message with this phrase um, from Mark 1, everyone, Peter says to Jesus, everyone is looking for you. Right? There, there's that real literal sense that everyone really was looking to Jesus because he had deserted the group, he had gone off by himself to pray, and everyone is really wondering, and there are these people coming to him and to these disciples saying, where is Jesus? We want him to heal us, we want him to help us. So there's this really literal sense that everyone is looking for Jesus. But there is so much truth in this statement, far beyond the context of the story it occurs, occurs within. Everyone, everyone is looking for Jesus. And the problem is so many don't know it. They're looking for power. They're looking for control. They're looking to get their way. They're, they're looking for so many things and what Jesus promises to be is the answer to all of them. Somehow, someway, he promises to be the answer to everything that you are looking for. If you will submit to him, if you will bow before him and allow him to transform and change, he promises to be the answer that you're looking for. Because we grow so uncontent. We, we struggle so many times with what we see. We so, struggle so badly with what we feel. And yet through it all, everyone is looking for Jesus. So the story that follows that, and if you'll remember last week, what we said we were going to do through the rest of the series, what Mark, I think, does so brilliantly, is he puts these people on the witness stand. And he allows them to give testimony to the answer to that question, who is Jesus? He allows them to answer the question, who is Jesus, from their point of view. What, what do you see? What did you see? And, and these aren't stories of people who knew someone who knew someone who knew someone. who. These are story after story of people who had encounters with Jesus in their daily life. So chapter 1, starting in verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him, talking about Jesus, and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. And the word there, indignant, is just simply, I think it was he was angry at the situation. He, he was angry at the way the person was treated because of his leprosy. Um, Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately. And that's one thing we pointed out last week. Remember, to watch for the urgency in Mark's gospel. How many times at once 
occurs or how many times immediately occurs. Just story after story talk about the urgency to which Jesus was moving from place to place, from person to person, the urgency which people were coming to Jesus. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and he began to talk freely, spreading the news. And as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet, the people still came to him from everywhere. So, so last week it ends with everyone Jesus is looking for you. Now, he throws in the fact that everyone everywhere is looking for Jesus. Everyone, everywhere is looking for Jesus. You have this man with leprosy. Now, I want you to make a really, really big stretch. This, this is going to be so difficult for every single one of you, okay? I don't ask you to make really big stretches mentally very often, but this one is huge, okay? Imagine this. Imagine living in a world where you cannot touch, hug, or shake hands with another person. I'll give you a second. You there? Can you, can you imagine? This man lived in a world where he could not touch or be in the company of other people. Imagine waking up one morning and saying, you know, I kind of got a scratchy throat. I don't feel real well. I'm going to go get a COVID test. You go down, you get a test, you get a rapid test. This is Saturday. It comes back positive, and you have COVID. And your symptoms start to get really bad that night. And you have this really bad cough and you have fever and sweats. And you decide, you know what, I'm going to go to church tomorrow. And you walk into the doors of the building and you decide, you know what, I'm going to be kind to people and let them know that I have COVID. And so you start walking down the center hall, coming into the building, COVID, I have COVID, COVID. And it's like the parting of the Red Sea. As people move away, do you want to come shake my hand? Everyone is out of the way. But here's the thing. As much as most people would be really frustrated that you actually showed up with COVID, they wouldn't probably look down on you because of it. Because it is a sickness. But understand, in this culture, when you had leprosy, this infectious skin disease, you were not supposed to be around anyone. And whenever you walked through crowded spaces, you were supposed to announce to everyone, unclean, unclean. But the uncleanliness went further than just my physical appearance because they equated this uncleanliness to sinfulness. There, there is a reason you're like that. You've done something to deserve this, this curse that sin has brought on you. And so there was this kind of equation of you are a dirty, awful person. Maybe the, the, most, um, the, the best parallel we would have culturally, if you go back to the 80s and 90s, the, the AIDS pandemic or epidemic, when you had these people with this disease, 
and the assumptions were made about them. Well, we know why you are that way. And for these people with leprosy, there was that um, stigma. We know why you are that way. And so it wasn't just looking at someone with a a disease, a skin disease. It was actually looking at someone as someone who deserved this, someone who was dirty. And so Jesus, as the man comes to him, we know what Jesus should do. Because here's the truth. This is in the law. It tells how you should treat people with these infectious skin diseases. You don't touch them. You shouldn't associate, you shouldn't be around them. And once they are cleansed, there are some sacrifices, some ritual sacrifices that they must go through to make themselves clean again. And so we know how the scenario should play out. And all of the disciples, all of the Pharisees know how this is supposed to go. This man comes and he falls down before Jesus And he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And then Jesus does something that just completely messes with the system. He does not say, be clean, and then touch the man. He looks at this man who is unclean, who is untouchable, and he touches him and says, be clean. One commentator said, if Jesus' birth is the immaculate conception, this is the immaculate infection. As Jesus touches a man who in their mind was supposed to transfer his uncleanliness to whoever touched him, Jesus touches him because what Jesus has is powerful enough to actually reverse course, and he infects the man with love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And the man is healed. Because story after story that Mark tells is about Jesus making the unclean clean again. It's about bringing healing and hope into this world through his touch. Through, through taking the time to notice people that no one else knows. Through touching and interacting with people that no one else will associate with. And for us, the question, if we're going to believe in this Jesus, if we're going to follow him, commit our life to him, be like him, are we willing to reach out and touch those who are untouchable? Are we willing to touch those people that society tells us we cannot associate with? Or are we willing to invite them into our building and say, here is a seat for you. We're glad you're here. Because most people really like the idea of doing ministry until churches start doing ministry. Until it gets messy and dirty. Because at the end of the day, every one of us are messed up people. I know you look in the mirror every day and you know how great you are. I know how great I am. What is it? I'm smart, good looking, and and doggone it, people like me. All of us tell ourselves that story. But at the end of the day, we're people and we're messy. But 
yet we're the ones that God has said, you go into this world. And you represent me to this world. You show the world what I am like. What an incredible task. The second story that, that follows, and we're going to do one more story this morning, one more witness that, that Mark's going to put on the stand and allow him to give his testimony of what he saw. A few days later, chapter 2, verse 1, when Jesus again entered Calpurnium, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing him to him, a paralyzed man carried by the four of them. Since they could not get him to, the, to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and lowering, lowered the man who was lying on a mat. Now, now, most likely this is Peter's home because of where they are. And so you're, you're sitting there and Jesus is teaching... Teaching, can you imagine? Can you imagine the desperation of someone to start ripping a hole in the roof to get to Jesus? Remember, everyone everywhere is looking for Jesus. They're trying to get, and you have these four friends with their friend who's paralyzed, ripping a hole in the roof, lowering him down on a mat to put him in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there and thinking to themselves, which, let me just say, probably gets people in a lot of trouble. They were sitting there in their small group thinking to themselves, the, the Great Commission is go into all the world, not sit and talk about all that's wrong with the world. Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins? And I love this question. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, right? The urgency Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say to him, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. So Jesus encounters a man rather abruptly sitting, laying before him on a mat. And he looks at him and he knows his need. The, the reason he is there 
is so that Jesus can physically heal him and help him to walk. And instead of doing that, he announces to everyone, your sins are forgiven. Now, why are they so frustrated? Because there's a system for that. There's a way that you go about the forgiveness of sins. There's a temple, and there's priests, and there's sacrifices and offerings, and you must go through those steps to be forgiven. And it was their system that gave them power. It was their system that supported their life. And you aren't going through the steps that you're supposed to to get there. You're just forgiving. And he asks this question, which is easier? Right? Which, which one is easier? What, to forgive someone to say, you're forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk? See, their, their structure, their concept was you need to do these things and then you will be forgiven. And they asked this question, who can forgive sins but God alone? Who, who can forgive sins? Because what their system had done was it allowed them to live at peace with God in their mind and yet not live at peace with other people. They're over here. They're sinful. They're wicked. They're evil. I'm sure he's paralyzed. This is a small town. Capernaum was probably about 1,000 people around the time of Jesus. This is a town where everyone knows everyone and they know everyone's business. They've seen this guy laying there day after day. They know why he is there. They know how, they know his parents. They, they probably know everything about him in this little small fishing village. And yet, here, as he's brought before Jesus, Jesus does what in their mind only God could do He forgave his sins. And they ask this question that I think is really powerful. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, the, the answer that we get from here is, well, Jesus as well can forgive sins. But I think Jesus would go further than that. Because I think Jesus would not stop at just, well, I can forgive sins. It would also be you can forgive sins. Right? You can forgive sins when people sin against you. You can do that. And there's teaching after teaching in the New Testament, and in the Old Testament for that matter, about the importance of us being people of forgiveness. You know, he says that we are going to be, for him, this kingdom of priests. What, what is it a priest does? A priest represents God to the people. He says, you're going to be the light in this world. You're going to be my image bearers. You are going to reflect me to this world. The world will see you. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, they will see you and know what God is like. And I wonder at times what the world sees when they look at us. You know, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the altar. Go and be reconciled to your brother or sister. 
Make things right. Settle matters with your enemies, with your adversaries who are taking you to court. Do it quickly. Peter is wondering how many times he needs to forgive people. Do I have to forgive them three times? And Jesus says not three. I'm sorry, Peter says, do I have to forgive them seven times? He says not seven, but 70 times seven, or 77. Like there is no end to it. You must be a person of forgiveness. You keep on forgiving because you're going to be a person who reflects the love of Christ, and the love of Christ was most perfectly demonstrated on a cross with arms outstretched, hanging in pain and agony as he looked down on this broken humanity that placed him there and said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And we most perfectly represent and mirror the love of Christ when we are able to forgive those who have hurt us. And I think the problem so many times in my life when I start growing weary is not necessarily a focus problem, but it's a forgiveness problem. There's people in my life who have hurt me, who have said things about me, who have done things that I don't want to forgive. And as I hold on to them longer and longer, my heart grows harder and harder. And it gets harder and harder to love the people who are not like me The people that the world looks at as sinful and unclean and says you can't touch and you can't be around. See, the problem is they don't need to change. The problem is I need to change. It starts right here. Church, it starts with each and every one of us being transformed and changed through the power of the Spirit of Christ at work in our life. To bring hope and healing to this world. You cannot legislate a changed heart. You can only get there through compassion and mercy and humility and begging God to come and give you that new heart. I think we could all agree. There are a lot of things right now that need to change in our world. And it's so easy to look at other people and say, well, if they would get their act straight. Maybe. Maybe the place to start is with a good long look in the mirror. There was an ancient, an older, older preacher, back, I say ancient, late 1800s. He said, do you want to start a revival? He said, go in the room, close your door, Get down on your knees, grab a piece of chalk, and draw a circle around yourself, and begin praying that God would start a revival within that circle, and don't leave until he does. Listen, there's so much we look at and we think we need to fix that we, we need to be the answer to. We, we need to, to bring healing in this world. Right? But what if we can't do that? What if we're incapable of doing that? What if we've forgotten that that's not our responsibility? What if our responsibility 
is to go into this world and be that kingdom of priests? What if our responsibility is to go be the light of the world? What is our responsibility is simply to you will be my witness throughout this world? See, that question that we started with, who is Jesus, said is the most important question, the most important question we will ask. Because if you believe Jesus is who he says he is, you, you understand that that announcement, that good news that there is a new king happens in a larger context. With, with a group of people who are struggling, who are marginalized, who are oppressed, who are on the outside of society looking in. There, there's a larger context. And because of this announcement that the good news has come near to them, that Jesus has died and Jesus has... Because this good news, everything from that point is different in your life and in mine. The way that we live, the way that we interact, the way that we trust and have faith and hope. Because when we grow weary, what starts to, to waver is our faith. It's our trust that God is who he says he is and that in the end of the day, he will come through. But it also ushers in this immediate period of waiting. Waiting for God to make all things new. Waiting for the restoration, the renewal of all. Waiting for every tongue on earth to confess and every knee to bow to Jesus as Lord. Waiting. If you're like me, there's so much that I feel like I need to do. Because by nature, I'm kind of a fixer. I like to fix things. I like to fix people. Probably my wife, one. I like to fix things. Right now, there's so much that we can't fix. But let me tell you, there's hope in what we can't do. And it comes from the realization that we can't do it. There's this passage, so Israel has been in exile, and they've been wondering, and God has promised that one day he's going to bring them back, and they're going to celebrate, they're going to be his people again. And as God is speaking to Israel, I want you to hear these words, to this group of exiles scattered throughout the land. I want you to hear these words, and I want you to notice something that's going to show up. And, and just to help you out, I put the words I want you to notice in red, Okay? I want you to notice them. And in fact, as you notice them, as I'm reading them, I just want you to read the parts in red. Okay, I want you to notice this. Okay, Therefore, say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things. He's talking about bringing them back. But it is for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. So hold on for just a second right there. Just go back to that one. Okay. These are people who have been sent out into exile. They, they've lost their home, their land, right? And so they're living in this pagan world with a whole lot of other people that don't believe in the God of Israel. Okay. They're, they're living in the midst of this really corrupt culture that worships all these other gods. And God is mad because they've lost sight in him. 
right? At the end of the day, this is a question, this is about trust. This is about faith in God coming through for the people and their trust and faith and hope in him. Going on. So you're going to read with me in red. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name which you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proven holy through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart from your heart from you your heart of stone and give your heart of give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from all of your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and make it plentiful and I will not bring famine upon you. I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the fields so that you will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. Then you will remember your evil ways and wicked deeds, and you will loathe yourselves for your sins and detestable practices. I want you to know that I am not doing this for your sake, declares the Sovereign Lord. Be ashamed and disgraced at your conduct, people of Israel. So a couple things real quick. Why be ashamed? Now, now listen, I, I think part of it is a morality question. But I think what was much more the point and what they should be ashamed of was their lack of trust and faith in God as creator, sustainer, and savior of the people. And their pursuit of other gods and other idols that they would give their heart and trust to. And God says, I cannot believe after all I've done and all I'm promising to do that you still struggle to trust me. But in that, time and time, and I didn't go through and count them up, did you notice how many of the promises God says, I will do for you? Over and over again, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And then the you wills were in that blue color. And every one of the you wills is when I will do what I'm going to do, you will experience the blessing of living in this world that I am creating for you. Listen, as we grow weary... We must not lose sight and chase after other idols and put our hope and trust in other things. It is Jesus 
If Jesus is who he says he is, we must put our faith and hope and trust in him and submit to him, believing he has the power to change the world. Believing that what he promised to the people of Israel long ago, he still promises today. Do we believe that? Not not just do we know it, but do we believe it in our heart and soul? Or has your heart gone after other things? Have you grown weary because your heart has been given to something else? And maybe Jesus is calling you back saying, "You, you come and be my people in this world. In this world, will be transformed at work in you. Do you believe that? See, because if you do, you must decide. You, you must decide where your trust and dependence will lie. Because this, this word decide is a word that we get from Latin word. And it has two, two parts. One is to cut off. And I guess literally it just means to cut off from. To cut and then off. To cut off from. So this decision that we're going to follow and trust Jesus means that we're going to cut off everything else in our life that we put our hope and trust and faith in. And we're going to put our hope and faith and trust in Jesus. So let me just tell you real quick. If you need to decide... That comes from right here. For for some of you, you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're joining us online. You've never heard about Jesus, and you need to decide. And that decision just simply comes from God. I, I want you. I want nothing else in this world but you. And I trust in you and you alone. And in that confession, we enter into this water, and this water cleanses us, it makes us clean, it makes us holy, it makes us right before God. It puts us in a place of forgiveness so that we go into this world and be people of forgiveness. And for some of you, that decision needs to happen. You need to put Christ on through baptism and confession and make him your Lord. But you got to decide if you're willing to cut off everything else from your life and submit to him fully. And for other of you, and my guess is this is the, the large, large majority of the people we're talking to. We grow weary. We grow weary with this world. We grow weary with trying to follow Jesus and struggling to see the world made new. But here's the good news. is every single day, His mercy is made new. And every single day, you have a chance to start over again. And say, God, today, I've grown weary, and I've struggled to put my hope and trust and dependence in you. And I've put my hope and trust and dependence in other things and other places. And so today, God, I submit to you. Where are you? Right now, where are you? Do you need to decide? Do you need to make a decision to follow Jesus again? Have you grown weary? Or maybe today, do you just need to start?
whatever that is. We're going to give you an opportunity to do that. And I know it's really weird with, with online church and how, how do we do that and in the room, but through these songs and even as we finish, um, a couple of our elders, if y'all want to go to the back of the room, if, if we could pray for you, we would love to do that with masks on. Um, if you're online, um, reach out to us, please. Fill out one of those connection forms. Let us know how we can help serve you better um, as you follow Jesus. But let, let's decide today that we're going to allow Christ to transform our heart, our mind, our soul, so that this world could see Jesus through us. Father, today we pray for your presence in this place. Father, we decide once again today to follow you, to give ourselves wholly, fully to you, trusting in the power of Jesus' resurrection. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.